morning church praise the lord that's good to see all of you this morning welcome to our friends who are joining online as well uh, remember that we do have that great uh tool if you're not feeling well if you're traveling please always join us online and if you happen to miss our live stream or here live in person which always is best uh, remember that all of our services are recorded and you go back to our website and uh, check them from there so but it is good to be in this place today. God has given us a brand new day. Um, I, I'm sure you all woke up today with a smile on your face, ready for uh, just whatever God has. But uh, he's blessed us with some good sunshine. It feels like fall, doesn't it? And um, my, uh, I picked up my daughter from the airport early this morning. She came in from a vacation in California. And I said, how was it? She said, it was hot. It did not feel like fall, um, and uh, so she was glad to, to be back and enjoy the cooler weather. So we're grateful for that. And every day that God gives us, because it's an opportunity to live for him and to worship him, and that's a big part of what we're reminded um, of when we get together on Sundays. You know, that we may be apart during the week or see each other once or twice, maybe at a Bible study or a, a midweek gathering, but it is good, and this is special, to start our new week this way, uh, to, uh, to do what the ancient church did and to gather and to worship and to pray. Uh, Acts 2 says that those uh, first believers were dedicated to hearing the apostles' teaching, and we have the Word of God today, and that they were uh, giving themselves to prayer, and we pray together, and uh, to fellowship, right? And we see that happening before and after, during our service. And of course, it says they ate together, and we love to, to do that as well. And so we praise God for the church, for brothers and sisters in Christ, for an opportunity to come and hear from his word, because that is what changes us, God using his word as we are transformed from the inside out. And, uh, and to worship, you know, and that's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna worship God through the hearing of his word, and then we'll stand and sing songs of praise because it is good to praise God in this place and God is worthy of uh, all, even more than we can offer to him. And so I'm going to read uh, from 
the uh, Old Testament and then a short reading from the New Testament as our call into worship today. Um, We have uh, some testimonies today after our time of worship and, of course, hearing from, uh, from God's Word in the book of Matthew. Here's what it says in Psalm 121. I'll read the whole psalm, and then I'll read from the New Testament, and then we'll stand and pray and praise God together through song. The reading of God's Word. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. A reading from the New Testament. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let's stand together as I pray us into worship. Father, we thank you for your word today. Your word is powerful. Your word is life-giving. Your word reminds us your promises that you make to your people Israel, your promises that you make to us, your church, that you will keep us and that you will protect us, that you will be with us in our times of difficulty and distress and you will be with us in our times of joy and celebration and that you will be with us now and forevermore. Father, we thank you for the powerful words of the Apostle Paul that remind us that we are no longer our own. That you took upon yourself, Jesus, our sin debt, It was nailed to the cross, and we are no longer found guilty in the Father's eyes that we have been set free by the graciousness of our God. And now in this life, Father, we thank you that as we live day to day, it truly is not us, but it is Christ in us. For you have loved us, 
and Jesus, you have given yourself for us. Therefore, we now honor you and worship you. For if you died for us, we want to live for you. So God, this time of worship through song, it is for you. You be blessed, Lord God. You be glorified and honored with our lips. And God, we desire to join our hearts and our voices together now as one, singing these songs of praise to you. May the words sink deep into our hearts as we listen to the music and it stirs our soul. God, this is for you. May you be blessed and glorified. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Church, let us worship God together.
God, you are so, so good. And God, it is a privilege to worship you, to sing how great you are and how great your love is for us. God, I don't thank you for music. Thank you for that beautiful language that you have given us that transcends cultures, Lord God. And Lord God, where we can connect with each other, brother and sister in Christ, through music, singing songs of praise to you with these words, God, that just remind us of how much you love us and how great you are and how worthy you are of praise. God, in our remaining time together, may we continue to be in that spirit, that, that, that mindset, that heart attitude of worship, for you deserve it all. God, we give you praise and all the glory and honor it's all for you, Lord God. Thank you for this sweet time of worship through music. God, we thank you in the name of Jesus who makes it all possible. Amen and amen. Church, say good morning to somebody next to you in the name of Jesus.
Well, if we can find our way back to our seats. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see you, and uh, praise God for uh, a great time of, uh, of worship. Um, we uh, just want to get caught up on a few things that's going on here at the Life at Trinity. And um, in a moment, we're going to hear some, uh, some testimonies about what God is doing. Uh, and uh, we've just had some recent events and some gatherings that I think it would be worth it for all of us to kind of um, be reminded of those and to hear what God is doing uh, through groups of people here at Trinity, but also in individual lives, of course. I uh, want to remind you before we get to those testimonies that um, we have uh, men's and women's Bible studies that go on on Tuesday mornings. The men meet at 6.30 and the women at um, uh, 9, 9.30. And uh, those are, you know, those have been going on for a while and we have those throughout the year. Uh, and um, those are important parts of our men's and women's ministries. Uh, and so just want to remind you of that, that we have those ongoing every Tuesday morning, we have our Wednesday evening prayer gathering, 7 o'clock here uh, at Trinity and the church. Um, and so we have opportunities to get together to pray, to uh, go deeper into God's word uh, together. Um, and uh, we also have a new opportunity. It's um, just a, a six-week study, but coming out of the recent men's retreat, um, we uh, planned a six-week study for men in the book of Galatians, and this will be a great opportunity for all guys, whether you are a men, whether you're at the retreat or not, this is open to all men in the church. It's gonna start this Tuesday. It's just six weeks, so six consecutive Tuesday nights. Uh, and uh, if you have any information, go to our website, or um, you can see anybody that oversees the men's ministry um, that's on that team, Bill, or uh, Rob, or Gil, um, and uh, myself, and so we just want to um, just thank you for for doing that. You know, for um, for the guys that, that put on this awesome retreat. You're going to hear a little bit more about that uh, in a moment. And so I just I just want to say thank you to all the men and women who have been sort of working behind the scenes and just putting together all these different events and uh, outreach, which you'll hear about in a minute as well that we had yesterday. And we have teams of leaders and people that oversee these different ministries. I just want to thank, thank all of them. You know, they, they do it, most of them, not because they want any kind of attention, of course, you know, and want to be up front. It's all behind the scenes, but it's completely necessary. And so just wanted to give a shout out to everybody that's, um, that's involved. And so we say thank you. Um, the other thing is uh, that I wanted to, to mention, two other things. Um, you know, we, we have uh, missionaries that we support, local and global. And one of our local partner ministries that you hear from uh, time to time is the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. And uh, we, um, we partner with them, we pray for them, we support them financially. And uh, I think uh, coming up soon, there'll be the annual coat drive, we'll be involved with that. Uh, but they actually have a specific need, they often don't tell us about that, but there's something, especially this time of year, that they don't have in their thrift store to be able to hand out to the, the community of men, women, and children. So. Uh, we're going to begin taking donation uh, of undergarments for men, women, and children. These are things that we don't often think about. Uh, people that donate things, it's often 
uh, you know, to the, to the thrift store, things that furniture and all that. But um, as you can imagine, people that are suffering from um, homelessness or extreme poverty uh, even need, you know, proper hygiene, of course, it's so important. And so we are beginning to take donations of undergarments for men, women, and children uh, for the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. And so the next time that you're on Amazon or you're out at Walmart or Target and you think of that, um, just keep that in mind and you can bring those donations in anytime, any Sunday. And we have the um, collection box that's right when you walk in to the, the main entrance and you can uh, just put them there. So we just wanted to make sure you are aware of that need. We have coming up this Saturday uh, on October 28th, the Fall Harvest Festival. If you remember, we did one last year and we're doing it again this year. We're actually adding more family-friendly activities. There's gonna be games for, uh, for families to take part in together, which is also always an awesome time. And um, there'll be activities for kids. We'll have uh, face, painting, face painting and pumpkin decorating and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so this is a combined event with our friends at the Allenwood Church. We've done some things with them before. And so we'll all be gathering here next Saturday at four o'clock. You've been getting emails about that and hearing about that. But as I prayed, oh, thanked everybody earlier for the, the leadership teams, we have um, this awesome team of leaders combined from Trinity and from Allenwood who have been planning this for a long time now. And again, all behind the scenes, just making sure that we're gonna have all the food and the games and the activities and the supplies for crafts and all of that. So. Uh, just keep that on your calendar. Hopefully you've already set that day aside. Four o'clock is when it starts. Uh, later on in the evening, um, we'll also have a bonfire out back. There'll be games and activities for adults. We have the volleyball court and the bocce ball court, and uh, we'll have music playing and lots of food. And so we just ask for, for uh, two ways that you can get involved other than, than coming out. There'll be some uh, volunteer opportunities, and so you hear about that this week. We need a, a handful of volunteers for setup, for cleanup, and a few things happening during the event. Uh, you don't have to volunteer the whole time. There's just little segments of time we need volunteers for. But we are looking for donations of candy for that event. And so if you haven't brought that in yet, you can drop it off this week, or if you want to bring it with you on Saturday to the event, you come a little bit early, that would be great. Uh, so both churches are taking donations of candy. And we're also asking that when you come, if you can, just, just bring a side dish to go along with the main meal. So we're doing what we often do in the summer times. We're having a barbecue. So we're doing hot dogs and hamburgers, a couple other things that the churches will be providing. But we just ask that you would be willing to bring a side dish. We are providing the, the main meal and the desserts and the drinks. So we're just asking that you would uh, be willing to bring some kind of side dish that goes along uh, with that. And if you want, afterwards, I'll tell you what my favorite side dishes are. Just in case you're wondering what to make, I'll, I'll give you a list. But next Saturday is our day. Hopefully you can all make it. Bring your, your kids, um, invite some friends. And uh, it'll be an awesome time of just, just great fellowship. And uh, again, music and games and time for the whole family. And uh, if perhaps it rains, and I say that because I feel like every weekend for the last 10 years, right, it's been raining. It's crazy. So we praise God for the, the sunshine today. In case it happens to rain next Saturday, the rain date is Sunday. So we'll do it next Sunday right after church, about one o'clock. Okay. And so, of course, as we get closer to the weekend, if it looks like there's going to be rain, 
We'll let you know if we have to change to Sunday. Uh, but right now, everything is set for next Saturday, the 28th. Okay? So um, <clears throat> any questions, just let me know. But I just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of that and the, the way that you can get involved, help out. So we have a few people that, that were just really wanted to share a brief testimony about uh, some things they were recently involved in. So first I wanted to ask Jan Gardner if you would come up and just share with us about your experience at the women's retreat. So come on up, Jan. Thank you. There you go. Just make sure you speak right into that. Thank you. Morning, church. Can you hear me? Just want to make sure everybody's awake. Okay. Good morning. Um, I had the privilege to uh, just talk a little bit about the women's retreat, which was two years, two years, two weeks ago yesterday. Kind of feels like two years, but anyway. Um, it was just a wonderful time. Uh, right from the get-go, it, it seemed like God's hand was upon us because the setting was just wonderful. It was very intimate, cozy. The speaker, uh, Judy Mills, was wonderful. Um, the program was wonderful. The topic was Becoming by Beholding. When I first saw that title of the, uh, of, for the weekend, I thought, it's interesting a concept, um, and as we, as Judy led us through the uh, the sessions, um, she she allowed a lot of uh, us to to have input, and everyone I think felt very comfortable in uh, discussing things and bringing up topics and sharing with each other. So that was wonderful too. Um, we did have a time of um, private um, quiet time where we were uh, asked to go and find a, a spot where we could truly concentrate on a couple of things. And uh, one of the things was, uh, what are the things that distract us from becoming closer to God, closer with God? And we all have a lot of things in our lives that do that, but I kind of focused on um, distraction because I'm extremely easily distracted. And uh, there were several uh, verses that we were uh, given to look up and um, I just focused on the beauty of God because it's something that I hadn't really thought of too often um, and just the different ways that he is beautiful. Um, as I was driving today, I, I have I could drive in on uh, 195 and I was traveling from west to east on 195 and I couldn't help but notice the beauty of the trees on the one side of the highway. It was just gorgeous um, colors, uh, fall colors. Um, but uh, some of the verses that I looked up talked about his beauty and his character and the way he cares for us and the way he loves us. And so that was the main thing that I took away and, and trying to uh, really work on uh, focusing on him, um, making it a uh, priority in my life and, and being intentional about focusing on him and becoming more like him. And uh, it was the folks behind the scenes did a wonderful, amazing job. We had beautiful music with Dear Julia playing for us. And we had fellowship, freedom, fun, and food. And it was wonderful. I'd like to ask uh, Ray Metcalf to come up and share a few words uh, about the recent the recent men's retreat, right? Thanks. We all came to the retreat. It was known in preparation of prayer, 
and with full full um, faith, fully in faith, that we were going to re- receive something from God. I, for one, did not know what it was that God wanted to give me, but as we delved into the Word in prayer and supplication with one another, He showed us the love and filled us with the Holy Spirit. It just washed over us totally, and we worshiped Him in spirit and truth. As we drew near to God, he drew near to us. And he showed us all what we were expecting to receive but didn't know. And that was to prepare us for the furthering of the gospel, of his testimony, in each one of us. And to his glory's name, and his sake's name, so that we could be a testimony of the new revelation he gave us to go to the poverty-stricken um, people, unbelievers, in the streets of Philly. And it was just a wonderful week in time, and I encourage everyone that if you haven't been to go to the retreat, um, Another thing about it was the unity that it brought between all of us men who went. We, we all came for different purposes, and the unity of friendship and brotherhood is between us forever. Thank you. Rashawn, if you would be willing to come up and share about our... Um Outreach that we had yesterday downtown Philly. Willing to share. Thank you. Hey, good morning. Uh, that's a tough act to follow. Uh, what can I say? You know, we've all, you know, most of us have all been on some type of uh, missionary trip or, or to help someone in our community, in our homes, but to go out um, to a different area. And, you know, we see things on TV, on the news, whatever. Nothing can compare to the reality of the in-person contact that we had yesterday. We, we were out there helping these, these people, but they were actually helping us. Like, they're our brothers, they're our sisters, too. And we just made them feel loved. We made them feel like humans not just someone that got walked past because they were dirty or got mental issues or or on drugs. So I was just so happy to be there with my brothers and sisters to serve in any way possible that they needed us. Cleared out a moving truck just to help them build their sanctuary, you know? Um, And that was just the individuals, Ms. Sinise and Mr. David, they're doing great things for that Dream Center major things and that city needs it and they needed us yesterday um, just to you know grow closer with my brothers and my sisters like that was just time of reflection for us for them the bond just got stronger 
it just keeps getting stronger. The Lord is just continuously working. All of us there, here, and I would just say, brothers and sisters, please stay encouraged. We have these outreaches, treats. Please, please go. Like I can't, I can't even express like the joy, the closeness, fellowship, brotherhood that we all receive. And it just helped, you know, um, for what we did yesterday. Because it's like second nature. Everybody just got where they needed to be at. Nobody even really spoke like that. You know, um, one of the gentlemen, Matt, uh, with the Dream Center, you know, he was, like, doing the medical stuff and, like, just watching over the ladies as they served and whoever was serving, like, food and stuff like that. And it was a little altercation. And, like, we didn't even speak. He got right there, held his ground. I'm like... That brother don't need to be alone. And I was right there shoulder to shoulder with him. We didn't even have to talk about that because I knew what he needed. Spirit led us. And, it, you know, it's going to continue to lead us. So it was beautiful yesterday. The weather turned out perfect. Huh? It was raining the whole way there. We got there. It was like, right? Everybody enjoyed themselves. Um. We got to help some people. We got to show the world who Christians are by our love. As a Christian, as someone who follows Christ, we got to be examples so everybody can see. And even when it got out of control, we still was in, he still was in control. And the cheese things. And the, the food was excellent too. Right? You know we gotta eat, right? But just the love and, and the joy that we receive. It's excellent, it's beautiful. You can't massage it enough. Thank you. Thank you. There was a lot of hugging going on at the men's retreat. Heard about that at the women's retreat too. So a big part of hopefully what you heard from, well, thank you again, from each of the testimonies was that at the men's retreat, the women's retreat, and even our outreach yesterday, um, you go to these things to be filled, to learn, grow together, went yesterday to serve, but you know, a part of what happens is you grow together. You know, we grow in the Lord and our relationship with him, but it increases our relationships with one another. And I hope that you got from that. And my prayer leading into today to my message will, will be that you leave here um, realizing, if nothing else, how much you need Trinity and how, how much Trinity needs you. And then on the, the global level, the church, capital C, the universal church, how much we as believers need each other. It's always been the case for more than 2,000 years, but I really believe that we all get that sense on some level that more now than ever, we need each other. The writer of Hebrews 
says that we are not to give up gathering together in whatever way we gather, Sundays during the week and small groups in your home, that we, not, we are not to give up getting together because we need each other. And I'm paraphrasing the rest of that, but we are to not forsake that, it says, and, and to not pass up these opportunities to be together with one another. But we are to encourage each other, and it says to spur one another on, right? Love and good deeds we're, we're, we're talking about. And, but then in, it also says that we are to do that all the more as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. That is our great hope. We look forward to the return of Christ. And as Christians in this day and age, in 2023, we are reminded of that as every generation of believers before us has been. But as we wait for the return of Christ to take us to our true home, we're reminded that we are but pilgrims, sojourners here in this life. But we are on mission and we have a message, and that message is the gospel. And whether we're bringing that to downtown Philly or whether we are gathering um, as men and women to learn how to be in relationship with God and with one another more, we are to do that all in encouraging and challenging each other because we await the return of the Lord Jesus. So please just be encouraged and maybe even be challenged if it's something you haven't been doing lately and be intentional about investing in each other's lives. Um, we all have things that we can share with others, young to old, old to young, and we need to learn from each other so that we can grow together and grow closer to the Lord. Um, I'm going to share a, a message today that is um, not part of our current sermon series. Um, it's from Matthew, and if you're, oh, you know, if you remember, we are in the the Gospel of Matthew. That's our series, and we're currently in chapter four. But I'm going to skip ahead to chapter twenty-four. But I promise that we will get back and do all of the other chapters in between. And when we eventually get to Matthew twenty-four, we will address it again. But the Spirit of the Lord has, has put upon my heart to take this opportunity to share with you not my perspective, not my opinions, not my own thoughts or ideas about the war in Israel, something that has captured our attention as it should. But as we do here at Trinity, we open the Word of God, right? That is our authority. Yeah, I can get an amen for that, right? And that's the way it should be. And I want to just share with you for a few minutes a biblical perspective on the war in Israel. And of course, we won't get into um, all details, and there's no way to do that. And we're not talking um, political issues or necessarily in-depth geopolitical um, concerns, but we see the cultural landscape and the political landscape and the geopolitical landscape from around the world, 
changing and shifting in dramatic ways. And I think that um, it would be a disservice if I didn't take this opportunity to share with you some thoughts about what Scripture has to say. Now, maybe, maybe you've been talking about this in your family, your coworkers, um, and you've probably been talking about it on all different levels, thinking about it, praying, I hope. But I wanna, what I want to do is bring our attention to how God is looking at what is going on, and as God's people, as God followers, as people of faith in Jesus Christ, how are we to look at what's going on? And again, this is perspectives from God's word, from the Bible. And so I'm hoping that in the last 15, 20 minutes or so together, that I'm able to show you from Scripture a, a, little, bit, uh, a little bit of how we are to maybe shift or change or refocus our lens of how we see what is going on. The map that we have out in the lobby is our missionary map, and many of you have taken the opportunity to look at it and see it, and you notice there's something unique and different about that map. It's a map of the world, but it's different because in many ways we say it's upside down. It's from a very different perspective than what we are used to. Instead of seeing the world laid out in a map form the way that we perhaps grew up seeing it, with the nations of this world in certain areas and certain relation to one another, the map out in the lobby is a perspective of if you were above the earth, let's say above the North Pole, looking down at the land masses and the nations of the world. Now, why did we do that? It is simply to just refocus our attention, even if it's just for a moment, to get us to understand that God sees the world and God sees us, his creation, through his own eyes, through eyes of love, through eyes of compassion, through eyes that are filled with justice and eyes that are focused on life and hope and eyes that are informed from a heart of love because God is love. But we, I think, often need to take an opportunity as things around us change all the more rapidly and realize, wait, what does God have to say about what's going on in my life, which we're all always focused on, and the lives of people in different parts of the world, especially when we see war. As we have been more um, sensitive to it in recent times, especially with the war in Ukraine that we have um, spent many um, hours praying about and supporting and remembering the, the bakers, our missionaries who spent decades in the Ukraine, and we heard testimonies from them, and that is an ongoing war. There are more wars than we care to know about, always ongoing around the world, but whenever something is happening in Israel, we are to pay attention, church, because our Bibles talk much about that piece of land, which is often referred to in comparison as the size of New Jersey. Did you know that? <clears throat> Think about that. That when you hear about what's going on over in Israel, that land mass is 
about the size of New Jersey. And we know, relatively speaking, that's small. But so much is occurring there that we are to give some attention and focus and say, God, what is it that you're doing? And we are always to look at the pages of Scripture when we do that. In a moment, I'm going to have you turn to Matthew 24, 1 through 14. So you can turn there. I'm going to show it on the screen in just a moment. Matthew 24, verses 1 to 14, it will be our um, passage for this morning. Church, the, the war in Israel, between Israel and Hamas, is not about land. It's about hatred. At its core, it's about anti-Semitism. Yes, land is involved, and land is an important aspect. It always has been. But at its core, this war is about a deep and illogical hatred for a people group. It is the oldest form of hatred known to humans, to a particular group of people. We see it all throughout Scripture. We've seen it exist in our world, and now we see it in the light. It has been brought to light. It's not something new, but it's always existed. Anti-Semitism is a illogical, deep-seated hatred for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people, the nation Israel, the Hebrew people. You know, Israel has been at war in one form or another since its existence. If you remember, if we look at the pages of Scripture, we see that in A.D. 70, about 40 years after Jesus went to the cross, that his prophecy, part of what we'll look at this morning, came true in A.D. 70 when Rome attacked and completely obliterated Jerusalem. And the temple, where the Jewish people worshipped at the time, and that began what we call to the, today the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish people from their land. And so for about 1,800 years, almost 2,000 years, the Jewish people had been scattered and didn't have a homeland. They were all throughout the known world, learning different languages and becoming parts of their culture, but always yet still being the Jewish people. For as I read earlier in our call to worship, God promises in Psalm 121 that he will never leave them nor forsake them. We take great truths out of those psalms for us as believers in God and Christ, but written originally, of course, to the Jewish people and still holds true for them. In 1948, a miracle happened and the Jewish people were recognized around the world as having their own nationality once again with a land. And since then, Jewish people from around the world, again, who had been scattered since AD 70, have been coming back to that land. They have been recognized as a state, the nation of Israel. Did you know that basically the, uh, the next day they were at war? Can you imagine being declared a nation after 1,800 years and the next day people are coming against you at war? There was a war in 1967 
There was a war in 1973. There is a war today. The cultural landscape, the geopolitical landscape, continues to change. It changes every day. We see it happening as we read the news every day, but it's often hard to put pieces of the puzzle together as we say, God, what on earth are you doing in our lives, in our country, in the world around us with the people of Israel, whom God loves? Do you know that back during those early wars of the early days of the nation of Israel, 1967 and 73 in particular, the main aggressor was the country of Egypt, who today has a peace treaty with Egypt. Did you know back during that time in the late 60s and early 70s that some of the better friends and allies of the nation of Israel were Iran and Turkey? And Iran today being the greatest state-sponsored aggressor and producer of terrorism around the world. Things change, and during our lifetime, they change. Iran, who was originally, uh, again, a friend to Israel, run by the Shah of Iran, was replaced in 1979 by the Ayatollah Khomeini. And for some of us who are old enough, we remember that happening. And what happened then is that rebel leader took over control of Iran. It is now called the Islamic Republic of Iran. Why do I say these things? There's so much more history there. Again, if we're talking about perspective, church, and you'll see why in a minute, how this comes together, the importance is a brief historical perspective because you might hear as you listen to other Bible teachers talking about Ezekiel 38 and 39. We're not gonna turn there this morning, but it is this famous, I say famous because it's highlighted a lot as we look at things that are going to happen in the future that have yet to take place as described in the Bible. There is this major war that will happen. It's called the War of Gog and Magog. Funny names, right? You can go home and read it in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And people often ask during times of war around the world, especially involving the Middle East, is this that war? I don't believe it is. But yet when we see the players that the Bible describes, nations that in the future will come against national Israel, say, huh. Who are the current enemies of the people of Israel? Who were once the friends who are now enemies? Who were once the enemies and now friends? And how does that line up with Scripture? Well, church, let me remind you that the Bible doesn't have to catch up with history. History, given enough time, will eventually catch up with the truth of Scripture. And why is that? Because it is God's Word, and God is always in control. God is always right. He is always sovereign. And that's why we can sit here even talking about a war in Israel and all of the atrocities we have seen pictures and videos of that we don't even want to speak of or talk about, that at the end of the day, we can say there is still hope because our God is still God and God has a plan. And do you know God has laid out so much of it for us in his word as a beautiful reminder that we can trust him. For if God keeps his promises... 
to his original people Israel, will he not keep his promises to us? When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that at the moment we believe in Christ for salvation, that we are promised eternal life and we never have to worry about losing that. If God keeps his promises to Israel, will he not keep his promises to us? We say thank God for that. In Matthew 24, 1 to 14, we see some famous words of Jesus as he answers two pretty simple, straightforward questions from his closest disciples. I want to use this as a basis of addressing some things that we need to keep in mind as we see events unfold around us. We see events unfold in Israel. Keep in mind, and I'll say this again when I'm done, I don't believe what we're about to read is describing what we are experiencing now, but it is experiencing about what it describes, what we will experience soon, what this world will experience, and what must happen, because Jesus says it will. And it is setting the stage for God bringing to fruition culmination of all that he has said will happen. You know, when you go to a movie, you don't want to go in late, right? I've been to movies with people that go in late. I can't stand that. How do you really know the ending and how great the ending is if you don't know the beginning, right? You know, we, we often give a lot of focus and attention to the beginning of the story of Scripture in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we see the beginning of the story. But do you know that, that God gives us the ending of the story? Not every single detail, but God lays it out for us. If we're going to read Genesis, don't we want to read Revelation? Don't we want to see all the other books of the scriptures that are highly prophetic, like the prophet Daniel and the prophet Ezekiel? We want to read that to be able to understand the full story. That's why I think it's important that we look at this passage today. Everyone, believer and non-believer in the world, senses that something is different. Don't you just get that sense? Conversations you're having at work, you're having at home, that world events are changing our cultural landscapes more quickly than ever before. Have there always been wars? Of course. Has there always been hatred of people groups? Yes. Have Christians always experienced persecution? Absolutely. But things are changing more quickly, more rapidly, more intensely. The end of Matthew 23 that leads into Matthew 24, our reading for today. Jesus is talking to the disciples, to the Pharisees, and he's condemning them, calling them out for their hypocrisy, as he always does. And he's describing to them their current state of affairs. And it's not up here, but I want to read this as a lead into this. So we're going to, in a moment, read from Matthew 24. Listen to what Jesus is saying right before he says these words, okay? Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling 
Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knew Jerusalem representing the the nation of Israel at that time that they had rejected him as his days on earth and his earthly ministry are coming to a close. He is lamenting the fact that his people, that God the Father had sent him to, to be their king and to offer them the kingdom, as we've been talking about in our series, King and Kingdom, he laments that they had rejected him, and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, can you picture Jesus weeping and lamenting? He's saying, how I have longed to gather you together, my children, just like the mother hen gathers her chicks. Jesus loves his people, but he says, but yet you're the ones who have killed the prophets and stoned those who the Father has sent to you for repentance. He says, behold, He's saying, because of that, because of that rejection of me, Jesus is saying, your house is being left to you desolate. Jesus is saying, what would happen a few decades later in AD 70? That Israel would be destroyed, Jerusalem would be sacked, that the temple would be destroyed, not one stone left upon another. And that's what happened in AD 70. At that moment, all of these chicks that Jesus says were scattered to the four corners of the earth. And Jesus was lamenting that. And then this is what happens next. So Jesus came out from the temple. Again, he was teaching the disciples. This is a very Jewish context. You remember Matthew writes his whole gospel to Jewish believers. They are now believing in Jesus, Messiah, but they were all Jewish and now believing in Christ. And he's writing to them from a very Jewish perspective. And so Matthew 24 and 25, he's not talking about us, the church. He's talking to the Jewish people about the future, the Jewish people. He said, Jesus came out of the temple where he was saying these things. He was going away when his disciples, remember they were here They were hearing him say all these things, and they came to him, right? And they were pointing out the temple buildings. So he's walking away from the temple where he was just teaching, and the disciples are pointing out to Jesus how beautiful it is. In the other Gospels, we see that they're saying, isn't this beautiful, Jesus? You can see them saying, isn't this the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Like, there was such great pride in the temple. It represented God's favor on them as a people. And what did they expect? They expected Jesus to be like, yeah, isn't this awesome? You see what I built? Verse two, but Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another. It will not be torn down. Can you imagine their reaction? They just wanted Jesus to be like, yeah, this is awesome. I love this temple too. And Jesus says, You see all these things you're looking at? Here's the truth. He says, truly I say to you, not one stone left upon another 
which will not be torn down. You know that in AD 70, this prophecy came true, as I had mentioned. And we see the ruins of it. It's been discovered, of course, uncovered. And actually we could see one stone was not left on top of the other. It was actually set fire. We know that from historians back in that day. It was set fire. Gold that was used in the temple melted and made its way in between the stones. And Roman soldiers would break the stones apart one at a time to capture that gold so that at the end of the day, not one stone was left on top of the other. Does not Jesus mean what he says and says what he means? If all of the prophecies about Jesus' first coming we know came true, and Jesus fulfilled them all literally, will he not fulfill all of the prophecies about his second coming and the way that things unfold before that happens? Will that not all come true literally as well? Verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, that's where they were heading. So he sits down on the Mount of Olives. This is called the Olivet Discourse, or the, the conversation that he had on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Remember, this is right after he said, hey, this temple that you love is so beautiful, it's going to be torn down. And of course, you could see them like, what on earth did he just say? So once they're able to get him together a few you know, minutes, a couple hours later, they say, tell us, when will these things happen? Right? There's just, there's just like, they're, they're anxious, they're worried, they're afraid, they're confused. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Tell us, when are these things going to happen, and what will be the sign of your coming? And the end of the age, it's really two questions. Those last two are put together. So they want to know, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And then, when are you going to come back? Because you remember from our study, Jesus was the awaited king, and he came to offer the kingdom. They were all waiting for the kingdom, weren't they? Do you remember the disciples? They were arguing with each other who's going to be the greatest in the temple, and Jesus is talking about their positions in the, in the kingdom, I mean. Who's the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus? And they were all about this kingdom that Jesus came to bring. Now, Jesus is saying, wait, the temple's not going to be there. It's going to be destroyed. And so they want to know, okay, when is this going to happen? And when are you going to come back and fix it all? Aren't these like logical questions? That's what they're saying. So here's Jesus' answer. See to it that no one misleads you. I think he's saying, now pay attention. You're going to get other information in the future, but what I'm saying is obviously the truth. So see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars so that you are not frightened. For those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. So let's just, let's not miss this. He says, see to it that you're not frightened. So as he just said, the temple's going to be destroyed. And he said, there's going to be false Christ coming. And he says, there's going to be hearing of wars and even rumors of more wars. So he's setting it up. And then he says, but don't be afraid. Church, if nothing else, remember when we read about a war in Israel, the war in Ukraine. We hear about what's going on in our country, in our government, around the world, things that are happening we don't even know about, even being reported in the news. Don't be afraid. You can trust in God. In John 14, Jesus, when he was comforting his disciples, he was about to leave them. And he tells them not to be afraid. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. 
Remember, and he tells them that he's going to prepare a place for them. And he says, if I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you, you know I'm going to come back for you and take you there. So in the midst of wars and rumors of wars, we should not be afraid. We can be concerned for believers there. We can be concerned for everybody because everyone is made in the image of God. Do you know that? We were talking about that yesterday as we were in downtown Philly and we were seeing people actively using drugs and selling drugs. And we're like, these people are made in the image of God. They may not look like us. They're not acting like us. We don't even understand how they can be living that kind of lifestyle. They are made in the image of God. God loves them and cares about them. That's why we're there. To show them that love. We picked up garbage around the street. Because the leaders of this ministry are saying, you know what? They consider this their home on the street. So how about we pick up some garbage and just show them some respect and we offer them a pretzel, those good Philly pretzels, you know, the warm pretzels, what we offered. We offered them, would you like mustard? No. Would you like a napkin? Would you like some coffee or tea? Just show them some respect, some love, because they're made in the image of God. God cares about everyone. But Jesus said, this is the reality. We know it's all because we live in a sinful, broken world. So we move on. But he says, this is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. So in the middle of all this, Jesus says, yeah, but don't don't be afraid. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pain. Right? We know what that's like. He says it's the beginning of it. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. Can you imagine the disciples hearing all this? They just wanted to be encouraged. They want to get to the kingdom so they could have their crowns and like be in charge, right? And Jesus is telling them all this. Not even the temple that they loved and adored is going to be standing. And you're all going to be hated by all nations because of my name. There is the hatred. We understand persecution as Christians. Jesus says that elsewhere about us and about the church. He's saying about the Jewish people, especially in the future, you will be hated because of my name if you associate yourself with God, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus says you will be hated. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, or in other versions, rescued. It's not about eternal salvation. It's talking about being rescued from these things, the wars, the famine. This gospel of the kingdom, the one that Jesus came to bring, He said, shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's what Jesus said. So a few things that are important to remember. One, I do not believe that this is talking about what's happening right now. But I think the best way to describe it is Jesus was saying what would happen in the future, the time right before he comes back, we often call it that tribulation time, You read all about it in Revelation. You want to read about the tribulation, look at Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Jesus gives that vision to John on Patmos, and 
He describes in detail what that's going to look like. That is not this time we're living in. But why do I bring this all up? Because Jesus was prophesying about what it would look like right before he came back. But we just know that God works within history, and things don't just all of a sudden overnight become like this. It's not peace, 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 and then you wake up, and it's all of this happening, right? These happen, these progress as society progresses. As we move forward throughout history, this is what will start happening. It's often said, these things don't happen in a vacuum, right? Things uh, will happen that will lead to this. So we will see more war and rumors of wars. There will be more famines than ever. Again, have we had wars? Yes. Have there been famines? Yes. Has there been hatred? Yes. But Jesus is simply saying, church, he's saying to the Jewish people, these things will increase and will happen more rapidly and with more intensity right before I come back for you. Because again, we keep it in context. Jesus is answering these two questions. Really just the one. If you want to look at Luke 21, he addresses the other one. But they ask him two questions. Okay, Jesus, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And when are you going to come back? So Jesus really answers that question. He says, okay, this is what it's going to look like right before I come back. Church, as you hear more about wars, about famine, elsewhere it talks about natural disasters, just realize we live in a broken world. Sin is often called a degenerative condition. It doesn't get better on its own. A broken world becomes more broken. The only one who can fix it is Jesus. He came to offer that kingdom to the people of Israel. They rejected him. We await for his return to bring that kingdom until now. Until then, we who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah. He says, wait for me, and I'm coming back. I'm going to get things ready. I'm coming back. But until I do, just, just be on mission for me. Go and make disciples and tell people what I taught you. Teach them to obey it. You know what else? We're supposed to pray. Pray that there'd be no more wars. Pray that, pray that lives would be saved. Pray that leaders would come to faith in Christ and repent. Pray that there'd be no more evil, barbaric acts of terrorism against men and women and children. These things happen because we live in a fallen world, but when we always look to God and we turn to God's word, he gives us answers. He puts in perspective what we're seeing around us. So as Jesus tells the disciples, look, right before I come, this is what it's going to look like for the people of Israel, and this is what's going to be going on in the world, and there's going to be nations coming against you. It says it elsewhere. We see in, in Zechariah, the prophecies. I mentioned Ezekiel. Luke talks about it as well. We realize, yes, when we see what's going on, we don't, we shouldn't be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. But what should we do? It should move us to pray. It should move us to search God's word. It should move us to go help however we can. We send money, we, we go to help people. We inform other people, hey, God is still in charge. Now is the time. I believe that's what Jesus would want us to do as the church. We pray for the people in the nation of Israel 
We pray for their protection. We pray big prayers to a big God that he would end the war, that Jesus would come back, that lives would be saved because God cares about every life. But we open the pages of Scripture and Jesus says, this is the unfortunate reality because of sin. And so our role, our purpose, the perspective we take is God simply says, pray, wait for me to come back, long for it, look forward to it, and pray and tell others about him. Introduce your friends and your family to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born. We love that at Christmas, right? Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. That will happen one day. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. That is the future. That is our future. We praise God for that. And I thank God that there has, it doesn't have to be one more prophetic sign that has to happen before he comes back for us as church. But Jesus is saying, you know what? When I come back to the earth, set my feet on earth to be the king, this is what to expect right before it happens. So church, as we see an events unfold, can we continue to be people of prayer and keep things in perspective, search deep into God's scriptures and ask for God's revelation and say, God, show us, remind us that you are at work, you will keep your promises, and yet God, protect us as these things happen all around us, as he sets the stage for the ending. It's like this. You ever go to a play, go to a Broadway show? They have different acts, right? And between each act, they usually close the curtain. Why? Because they're back there setting the stage, getting the props ready for the next scene, the next act. Act. It's as if Jesus has closed the curtain on, on the second to last act. He's getting things ready. He's setting the stage for what's about to happen, what he has already shown us will happen in the end. Church, there is always hope. God is always sovereign, always in control. Please remember, this is not our true home. We are but pilgrims passing through. He will come back for us. Pray. Pray for more life and less death. Pray for the end of wars. Pray for peace and prosperity to replace war and poverty and famine. Pray for people to meet Jesus and be saved. I end with this. You know that the Bible begins and ends with Jesus. What are the first few words of the Bible? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God. We know elsewhere in Scripture, he's talking about Jesus. Nothing has been made apart from Jesus, so God made it all. So in the beginning of the Bible, we see Jesus. How does the Bible end? Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega, the last book of the Bible in Revelation. It starts with Jesus being called the Alpha and the Omega. It ends with Jesus being called the Alpha and the Omega. It means beginning and the end. He has no beginning, he has no end, and it means that Jesus is everything in between, that everything is encompassed in Jesus, and as we as believers in him for salvation, we are complete in him. 
We have everything we need. So church, remember, the story begins and ends with Jesus. He knows what he's doing. He is in control. He is sovereign. No nation, no matter how horrific, will ever thwart God's ultimate plan. Do you believe that? So what is our role? To pray, to dig into the scriptures, to introduce others to Jesus, and to keep our biblical perspective as we see things change and change rapidly around us. I do pray the Lord Jesus come back and come back quickly. But until then, we need each other. We need to stay together. We need to be people who are praying and encouraging each other. As I started off by saying, all the more as we see the day approaching, we need we need each other. Would you stand and pray with me, Father God? We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus who has given us new life. We thank you, Lord, for recording for us these words between him and his disciples from over 2,000 years ago. We thank you, God, that he shows us what will happen in the future. God, that helps us to understand a little bit more of what we are experiencing now. God, thank you that we can trust in you. You are a promise keeper. You keep every one of your promises. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. God, may we walk out of here, yes, being aware, being concerned, but still focusing on you, keeping our eyes set on things above where Christ is, not on things of this world, because that is our ultimate hope and our ultimate home. God, would you get all the glory Use us this week to be a blessing to other people, whether we're talking about war in Israel or we're talking about marriages or relationships or anything else, God, use us to be a blessing to others and to see people as you see them and to see world events as you see them. And God, at the end of the day, we want you to get all the glory. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for this blessing of being here together this morning. May we remain together, unified around Jesus Christ. I pray in his name, amen. Thank you, church, for coming this morning. Lord bless you. Thank you.
He's alive. 